If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself. But even better, they've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information, all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity. Forming strong teams to support them, Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Monday, October 4th. And this is the program that attempts to take the mystery out of your financial life. We do that by answering your emails or having you come on the show with us live, Live live-ish, you know, not like live as you're listening to this, but we can do all of this. Mark does all of this. He's very wise. He's figured out a way to make sure that we can bring you on the program with us so we can answer your questions. And if you are shy, it's okay. Just send the email, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com or go to the website, jillonmoney.com and click the contact button. We will try to do our best to answer your messages as they come in. George writes want he, that he needs a second opinion on their retirement savings. And he says, my wife and I have no kids. It's hard to think about when to spend, save more, and when to sell the house. Well, they're only 52. How about that? No debt. 280 grand in a Roth IRA, $375,000 in a traditional IRA, $115,000 in stocks, $410,000 in cash. Wow. We have moved to Northern Minnesota to our lake home, and we have jobs that cover our basic living expenses. We take in about $75,000 a year. We also have rental property, which brings in $35,000 a year. We're too young to quit working, but when do you sell the house and all the items that come with a lake home to travel more? I don't want to overspend now and run out later. So I have a, a real issue with this idea that there's some magic formula. I mean, look, if you 
are living well on 75 grand a year. And I'm not sure if this 35 is necessary or is that extra. I'm a little confused as to why you're looking for something, some magic day and time. If you want to travel more, travel more, you know, run your retirement numbers, see what you really need. But I mean, if you're asking me, you know, can you just quit right now and spend uh, $200,000 a year? No, you can't do that. But you've got to figure out what it is you really want. Run the numbers. You'll be happy you did. You really will. Okay. Elaine writes, my husband and I are near the upper end of the 12% tax bracket. And if I'm not mistaken, tax rates are probably going to change after the year 2025. Well, let me just pop in. They're scheduled to change after 2025, but we don't know if they will change because the way the law was written in 2017 is that you there is a sunset provision and things go back to the way they were. But I doubt that's going to happen for the folks who make less than a certain amount of money. I don't know. I just have that sense. But anyway, the top of the 12% tax bracket is 81000 right now. All right. Now, here's a question. Assuming our income stays about the same over the years, I'm thinking it would be a good strategy to take full advantage of the historically low rate. Here's my idea. Considering $106,000 our target at the top end, including the standard deduction, should we put whatever amount we can afford to in our tax-deferred contributions to take income below this threshold and then convert whatever amount we go below it from traditional to Roth? So they're figuring that, obviously, look, the standard deduction, which is as married filing jointly is 25,000. So that what they're doing is they're taking the top of the 12% tax bracket, 81,000. And they're saying, okay, well, if we could make 106,000, we claim the standard deduction that gets us down to 81,000, which is fine, except that whatever you convert gets added to your income. So you're not going to convert at 12%. You're going to convert at 22%. You know, you don't tell us how much money you have that you're thinking about doing this, but I think the plan is that whatever you can, just think of it this way. So Elaine, the way this would work is whatever you convert would get added to your taxable income. So even if you made, um, if you converted, let's say, if you're at $80,000 and you converted I think uh, now I understand what I think she's saying. She's, I think what she's saying is that she's at $80,000 and let's say she converted, say, 25000 of income, which brings her up to one hundred six. If she claims the standard deduction, then she's back down to twelve. I think that's what you're saying. And if that, that works, then great. So, but you can't convert more than, put it this way, if you're at the top end of, of the 12% bracket, you then cannot convert anything more than their standard deduction or the 25000 That's That's, I think, what you want to do. I think that's what you're saying. I hope. And if I got it wrong, let me know. Sharon writes, I'm looking for a financial planner. I can't figure out how to stay safe. I understand the person should be a fiduciary. Uh, she doesn't want to change her, the brokerage firm. I feel people I talk to have gone to a financial planner, have moved money around by recommendation. I mostly have questions about some double E bonds that are about to be cashed in. I want to prevent a huge tax bill if possible. Any advice you have on looking for an advisor would be appreciated. Sharon, so first of all, when you cash in double E bonds, there's no way to minimize the taxation. The tax is the tax. You might have to, you may be able to minimize it in other parts of your 
financial life. But whatever the accrued interest is, you're going to pay tax on it. It's going to be income. All right. In terms of a financial advisor, go check out uh, our website, jillonmoney.com. Go to the resource section, and there you'll see the questions you should ask a financial advisor. I think it sounds to me like you need a fee-only advisor. And a fee-only financial planner or advisor is one that you would find at an organization called NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, NAPFA.org. That would be, I think, the, the smartest thing for you because then you might have to pay by the hour, but I'd be interested to follow up with you. I'd love to know more about what's going on in your financial life and maybe we can help you out. Maybe you don't even need a financial advisor. Maybe you could do this yourself. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe. Kathleen writes, uh, she says, after listening to you for the past year and a half, I have finally summoned the courage to fire my advisor. (laughs) Way to go. It was surprisingly easy to transfer my account from her to Fidelity. It took about 10 minutes. Can you believe I didn't hear a word back from the former advisor? After a six-year relationship, I would have expected her to follow up and close the circle or say thank you for the opportunity to serve. By my estimate, I paid her over $100,000 in fees during the period. Sigh. In hindsight, I should have made the move far earlier. Regardless, thanks for the nudge. Here's my question. Fidelity did a comparison on an annuity that I have with Nationwide that's valued at $440,000. I would save about $1,000 a year if I moved to Fidelity, but I would lose the death benefit of $250,000. Since the annuity pays the higher of those values, um, the death benefit becomes a moot point, right? Is there any other reason not to move the annuity to the Fidelity family? I like the idea of saving that $1,000 a year, and I like holdings in one place. Am I missing anything? I am guessing that that, uh, that, that annuity that you have um, with Nationwide is a non-qualified or a non-retirement annuity right? I think that's the case. If it's a retirement annuity, then you obviously don't need to worry about it because then you would just move the money that's in there out into a Fidelity IRA account. But let's presume that it's a non-qualified annuity. I wouldn't worry too much about the um, death benefit. The only reason not to move it is maybe the, the clock wouldn't start again, meaning you probably have satisfied some sort of surrender period with the nationwide contract. And starting with Fidelity all over again would mean a new surrender period. And so, I don't know. I like the idea of saving $1,000 each year. I'm also wondering, is there any reason that you might want to annuitize this contract at this point? And finally, Richard writes, um, he says, we've got a quote problem that most people would probably be happy to have, but it's a little bit of a frustration for us. We've accumulated enough assets to allow us to live comfortably for the foreseeable future. That's great. This has made us risk averse. Why put any resources in jeopardy if we don't need more than we have now, resulting in our holding a large amount of cash that produces no return? I am 74. My wife is 71. They live on 50 grand a year. No debt, no kids. House is worth a half a million dollars. Two rental properties are worth 420 undeveloped parcels of land, 575. They got a million bucks in real estate. And that's outside of their primary. 
two boats, $140,000, real property, million bucks. They have value funds, a healthcare fund, $350,000. They've got just not one, but just two individual stocks, $130,000. So they've got about a half a million dollars in stocks. Cash, $2.1 million. Oh, my God. So anyway, they got Social Security. They got a retirement. They got rent. That pays their, you know, $56,000 before taxes. And here's a question. Ready? Given the scenarios, there's something you could suggest we do with the cash that would provide some return but allow us to sleep comfortably at night. Even though equities seem to go up endlessly, we still have a hard time uh, viewing the stock market as anything more than a highly manipulated version of Las Vegas. You know how I feel about Las Vegas, guys. So what do we want to do with this cash? Um, look, obviously sitting in some sort of money market is probably not in your best interest, you know, because, you know, you've got the money, it's sitting there, you're paying tax on it. Do you live, if you live in a high, sta- high state tax, maybe a municipal bond fund for some of the money, maybe you could ladder some CDs or bonds, individual bonds um, that have staggered maturities that might give you a little bit more comfort, but it's not the worst thing in the world, but you could live for 20 more years. And in 20 years, you could have inflation and taxes that eat away at that every single year. So I like the fact you do have some stocks, but I think I'd probably just build some sort of very conservative bond portfolio. And again, if you're in a high tax state, it would be municipal bonds. If you're not in a high tax state, you can just use corporate bonds, but they should be high quality. They should be short to intermediate term. And there's a lot of places that will actually do this for you, but you could even do it yourself. I think that's about it. $2 million in cash is a great problem to have, but I understand your, your sentiment. I think a lot of people have that sentiment, which is if I have enough already, then why am I trying to accumulate more? And I get that for sure. Okay. I really do. So uh, if you have a a problem that you like, you know, oh, I have $2 million in cash. No, I know it sounds terrible, but it's his problem. So let's not judge it. You know, anyone can sit there in cash and say, I've got a problem. If you have other financial issues, gosh, we'd love to hear from you. All you need to do is hop onto the website, jillonmoney.com and hit the contact button. And when you do so, please let us know if you'd be willing to come on the air. We really, really like when you come on the air. It's great. And let us know if there's anything else that is on your mind. Maybe you're, you are really worried about the debt ceiling. Maybe you are trying to figure out some crazy thing going on in the, in the overall global economy. And you want us to help you understand that, we'd be happy to do that as well. Please do something nice for someone else today. Uh, that would make somebody else feel good and it will make you feel good for having done that. Grit, growth, grace. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.